Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Are you ready for the message? Well, I got I to gotta tell you something real quick before I get the message. I was going to preach the book of Job today. Um, and the book of Job, if you know anything about it, it's a really sad book. Uh, it's actually a book of suffering. And I don't do well with sad and s- stuff. I don't even watch sad movies or scary movies, nothing. I just know. Who doesn't like sad stuff? My bright. I don't want to see it. Okay, just show me happy stuff, happy endings. I hate bad endings of movies. Um, and so I've been studying a week for Job, and uh, I need two weeks for Job. Um, and so I'm not going to preach Job today, okay? Um, but I'm excited to preach Job. The more I've gotten into it, uh, it's a powerful book. It really is answering the question of uh, why do we suffer? And why do good people go through suffering? It really is a why God, why book. And so that's next week. And so uh, if you are very curious about suffering, come next week. It's going to be great. Um, but getting through it, knowing how to help people through it, it's, it's a really important book. Um, but I'm going to push that to next Sunday. I'm going to take two weeks. Uh, but today, I'm going to preach out of one of my favorite books in all the Bible, the book of Hosea. Come on now. And now the book of Hosea, it's a special book. It's, it takes place 750 years before the crucifixion. And uh, scholars say it is the greatest depiction of Christ's love for mankind before the cross. So in all the Old Testament, scholars and theologians say the book of Hosea and what Hosea does for Gomer and what it represents, it is the greatest depiction of God's love before the crucifixion. Are you ready for God's word? All right, turn your Bibles to Hosea 1. Here we go. Hosea 1 says this. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate. Stop. You need to know something. Old Testament prophets were charged with the priority to communicate the character and nature of God. And God doubles down with Hosea. I don't only want you to communicate my nature and communicate my goodness. I want you to live it out. I want to illustrate a picture to my people of how I'm a God who never gives up on them. Tell them a message, and this is our God today, is a God who never gives up on me. Aren't you thankful God doesn't give up on you? Come on. So he says, this will illustrate how Israel has uh, acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Can you imagine being Hosea? And God comes to you. You're single. Where are my single people at? Raise your hand up. Say, what's up, single people? Yeah. Take a look around real quick. Okay. People always ask, when are you going to start a single service? It's called Sunday morning. Okay. There's a ton of them. Um, So uh, can you imagine, though, being single and God coming to you and saying, hey, I got your wife for you. I got your future spouse. And Hosea's like, oh, my gosh. Who is she? Is she on the worship team? God's like, No. Oh, okay. Does she serve in kids? No, no, no. Walk out the doors, Hosea. Can you imagine Hosea walking out the doors? And you're like, oh, I get it, God. I get it. She's a street evangelist. She's like doing like the work on the streets for the Lord. And he's like, no, no, keep walking. And and can you imagine Hosea walking outside the doors and, and walking through the streets? And he finally gets to the the streets where the lady of the night, the, the, the prostitutes are, and the Lord says, that's your wife. Can you imagine this moment that Hosea realizes that God's called him to love the unlovable, to love someone who's not going to love him back, to love someone who is so broken that they don't even know how to begin to love the person back. And God says, this is how I want to illustrate what my love is for you. Because the reality is, is all of us are so broken. All of us are so, 
gosh, how do I say this without sounding kind of, we all have prostitute tendencies when it comes to the world. We're willing to compromise our life for the world in so many ways, and God still comes for us and says, no, you're the one. And so my prayer today is that you would see God's love through the book of Hosea, and it would compel you to live the life God always wanted you to live, and then it would fire you up to go tell everybody about how good he is. Does that sound good? We bow our heads, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this book that is 14 chapters long and just jam-packed of your heart for your people. Oh, Lord, I pray that as we go through your word, that we would see uh, your will for our life, Lord, that we would learn that this world literally has nothing for us and you have everything for us. The world does not satisfy, God, you satisfy. So, Lord, may my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said? All right, we're going to look at a handful of questions today. There's a handful of questions. And the first question we have is, what is God trying to show us in the book of Hosea? First thing God's trying to show us in the book of Hosea is our relationship with him is like a marriage, okay? Now, when I was a young guy going to church and I would read verses like, um, we are the bride, he is the bridegroom, I did not like that illustration. I'm a dude, I'm not a bride, okay? And so I just, it just never took for the longest time. Like there's other illustrations, he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. Um, but really all it is, if you're a guy in the house, relax, it's a metaphor, that's all it is. It's a metaphor because there's no other relationship in your life that will bless you or hurt you more. No other relationship in your life that the Bible shows that literally two become one, it's going to sharpen each other. A marriage is unlike a friendship. Marriage is unlike a brother and sister relationship and a father and a kid. Marriage is this covenant that you come into saying, I'm messed up, you're messed up, let's see if we can make this thing work, okay? Um, and Jesus says, I am the bridegroom and I'm coming for you and I'm going to make this work. So the first thing he shows our relationship with him is like a marriage. Second thing the book Hosea shows us is our relationship with him is like a bad marriage. It's not going good right now. It's not going good. God is loving and we're selfish. God is pursuing and we are retreating. God is trying to woo us and we are addicted to this thing called sin and sin owns us at this moment. The third thing he shows us though in this book is how committed he is to make it a great marriage. How committed he is to make this thing flourish. I love that about our God. I love that God never gave up on me. I've been a pastor now for almost 20 years, and uh, I'm thankful that God doesn't give up on me today. How many of you wish you were a little farther along in your life just as a believer? Anybody? Anybody like, I feel like I'd be over this already. I feel like I would be a better Christian already. I feel like I'd be more loving already, more generous, more forgiving, more pure, whatever you want. Just feel like, don't you, some of you just feel like, man, I thought I'd be there. And the reality is I'm so thankful God doesn't give up on us. Because he, he's the one that literally is going to finish what he started is what the Word of God says. So how do we get here? How do we get to this bad marriage? How, how did life get to this moment uh, in, in Hosea? And maybe some of you are there at this moment. How did I get here? Why am I in this spot in life? Why am I not flourishing? Why is my marriage not what I thought it is? Why is my joy not what I thought it is? Why is what I've dreamt about my life, why has it not become what I thought it would be? Now let me give you some context of what's happening in Hosea. Uh, at this time, Jeroboam is king, and you need to tell him something. Business is cracking. I mean, the economy, the, the stock market is just going up to the boom, okay? It is money is everywhere. They are prosperous. Um, their military might is fantastic, so they got security. So they have prospered like crazy. And you would think that if you prosper a lot, then everything else would be good. But the Bible shows very clearly the trap of prosperity. Prosperity is a trap if you don't know how to steward it. And I want to show you this in Hosea 10, what it shows us. 
How prosperous Israel is, a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit, but the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. The more bountiful their harvest, the more beautiful their sacred pillars are. God is saying the more and more that you uh, taste prosperity, you are becoming a rootless people. He described, again, another illustration, Psalm 1, John 15, there's this rhythm in the Bible that God depicts us as plants that are planted like a tree or like a vineyard that is planted. And if you're not planted, you will not bear fruit. So he says, look at you, you're a planted fruit and you're luxurious when you're planted. But now that you're planted and you're luxurious, you're forgetting why you're luxurious and why you have so much fruit. And now you're chasing inanimate objects. You think you can find joy in things. You think you can find fulfillment in hobbies. You think you can find fulfillment after chasing after stuff. And the reality is, is that the Bay Area can relate with the book of Hosea more than anywhere else, if you ask me. I wouldn't, if I try to communicate prosperity to some tribe in Africa or tribe in South America or a third world country, they'd be like, I don't even understand that temptation. Everybody in this room, you can understand the temptation of prosperity. Because our culture has so many things for you to pick. And so we have become this culture that is now rootless instead of planted. And, and let me just unpack how this happened. So in 1870, 1900, we had what we call the Gilded Age. It was this amazing time where the West started exploding and, and uh, economics started booming. And um, uh, this desire that people had was two things. There's always been these two desires that sociologists and people who study history see what people want. They want two freedoms. They want the freedom from want and the freedom from tyranny. And the freedom from want is this. I want the freedom of just not wanting security. I just want to be able to know I have security. I don't want to want security. I want to have security. I want the security of knowing I just have food, not that I want food. So that's something people always desire. And then tyranny is they don't want to have a bad ruler that absolutely just pillages what they're trying to build. And so those are the two wants that every, mankind, every civilization has always wanted. Well, in the 1900, early 1900s, the U.S. got it. We're free as a bird. Uh, economics are starting to boom, especially on the West Coast. And now they have the freedom from wants and the freedom from tyranny. Life is good. And then fast forward in 1955 to 1975. They call this the golden age of capitalism. It is the time when America explodes finally. I mean, we're talking weeks. Boop! I mean, I mean, rich, rich, rich. I mean, we've been, of course, the uh, leading GDP for, I mean, almost 100 years now, something like that, something crazy. Um, supposedly, we're going to lose that by 2030 to China. But if we're competitive enough, maybe we can still win, okay? Um, anyways, um, but it was the golden age of um, uh, the capitalist movement. Even in Japan during this time, they called it the miracle boom of economics. They became the second most prosperous nation during that time. And Something else birthed in this third wave of prosperity. Uh, they did studies, uh, Tim Wolf, a famous author, and of course would teach at Harvard once in a while, did the study and he found out there was a third want that arised uh, in 1975 that still has not left mankind today now. So they had the want, the, the freedom of, I just want to get rid of my wants. That was always there. I don't want to have the government, you know, telling me what to do. I want to be free. But the third one is they wanted freedom of religion. They didn't want anybody or any God to tell them what to do anymore. They wanted to be able to define whatever was good and define whatever would satisfy them. And this was birthed in the prosperity of the golden age of capitalism. And if I could just read you uh, something that uh, a theologian and scholar wrote to me, which I thought was fascinating. Her name's Kristen, uh, Christine Pohl. She said this, the way we've been formed by consumer church, not just not any church, but by consumer church and by culture, they have not given us the skills or the virtues we need to be a part of the very communities or the very marriages or very relationships we long for and try to create. While we might want community, it is often community on our terms with easy entrances and exits, lots of choice and support and minimal responsibilities. 
Stop. What's happened in Israel and what's happened now in our time is simply this, is that we have become rootless and therefore we're becoming fruitless. When there are no roots, there is no fruit. And what God is saying is Israel has now become in this place where they have decided to unplug from the things I told them to be planted in. They're, not, they're no longer planted in community. They're no longer planted in church. They're no longer planted in the integrity of the word. They're just literally roaming around thinking if they find some inanimate object or something, they would be satisfied. And he's saying, Hosea, I'm going to use you to woo them back and show them how great it is to be planted in the house. And so this is what's happening, and this is how they got there. I, uh, I wrote this down. I've said this before, but uh, really what happens in uh, the time, and I've said it, is the question isn't, is God big enough to make my dreams happen? The question is, are you big enough for your dream? Because God's going to bring things to your life. And are you big enough to steward them and stay planted when they come? When, when success comes and prosperity comes, in ministry, to be honest, I've seen success destroy more pastors than actually failure. Wow. Uh, they start thinking, they start reading their own pub. They start thinking they're amazing. Just so you know, I know I'm not amazing. I'm thankful that God's here. My wife lets me know I'm not that great. <laughs> but I'm not too shabby either. She told me my outfit was a 12 out of 10. I started, I started, I started dancing. She picked it out. I was like, 12 out of 10? She's like, 20 out of 10? I was like, what, 20 out of 10? Okay. Um, <laughs> That's what we were doing over there. Okay, anyways. Um, so here's the question. How do we get out of this trap? How do we get out of this trap of being a rootless society, a fruitless society, a, a society that desires the things of God, but are not willing to do the things of God? How do we do it? Now let's go back to the story of Hosea and Gomer. So uh, Hosea is called the Gomer. And uh, here's what we know about the story. If you read one through three, I'm going to try to cover all 14 chapters, so I'm not going to be able to read everything. But if you look at Hosea 1, he's called the Gomer. Um, they get married, and it goes from uh, bad to worse real fast. They have three kids, and the third kid is not his kid. Well, how do you know that, Tyler? How do you know his third kid is not actually his kid? How do you know Gomer cheated on him? Because uh, he named his third kid Loami, which means not my kid. <laughs> you don't really have to be a theologian. Yeah. You imagine Hosea being like, hey, third kid, Sandy, Mike, your name's Lo me, okay? Just so we're on the same page. So, so he names the third kid Lo me, not my kid. And then after she's birthed a couple of kids, cheated on him, and he's just been faithful to forgive, she eventually leaves the house. And it shows in Hosea, too, that now she is sleeping around uh, and going back to her old ways. Um, she only knows uh, this life, and this is what she thinks actually will satisfy her. And so in Hosea, too, it shows that she's sleeping around, and Hosea actually brings her food and leaves it at doorsteps, and she doesn't even know who's leaving her food. That's, that's a special picture of somebody who loves somebody who's not loving them back. And can I just tell you something real quick? That some of you have ran away from God so many times, but he is still sustaining you in the midst of you running away. He is still dropping off things to sustain you until you come home. Because if God doesn't sustain you until you come home, you're done. And so it's a picture of God still dropping things off at the door, even though you don't even want to see him. And so it's a beautiful picture of just God's love for us, of sustaining us in, until, we even get, uh, until, we, until we respond to what he's called us to. And then Hosea 3 is this powerful picture. She is now um, being ran by a, I don't even know what to call him, uh, for lack of a better term, forgive me, She's now um, being sold as a slave. Uh, she was being pimped out uh, during this time. And as she's being sold as a slave, this is what the Lord tells Hosea. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. Oh, everybody say again. The gospel is all about agains. Can I just tell you that real quick? Serve again, love again, hope again, forgive again, try again. Man, the, the, the gospel is all about agains. 
Go to church again. You sinned, ask for forgiveness again. You messed up, repent again. Somebody hurt, hurt you, forgive them again. You lose in hope, hope again. The Bible's all about agains, okay? And so it goes, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate, do you see this over and over again? God's like, I want to illustrate. I want to illustrate. I want to paint a picture. I want to show them that I'm a God that will never give up, that I'm a God that will always again come into your life. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Stop. You read the Bible and you just read past that. You don't really understand the cost of what Hosea had to do. And so can you just imagine Hosea having the Lord tell him, hey, I want you to go love your wife again. I want you to go down to the brothels and I want you to go buy Gomer back. Can you imagine Hosea, a man who's lived his life well, walking to those brothels and people seeing him and him saying, hey, have, have you... Have you seen Gomer? You know my wife. And them going, you guys are still together. I had no idea you guys were still together. Oh, and being awkward, like, I, I, I think I saw her down the street maybe. I'm sorry, my bad, man, I don't know. And just Hosea walking around looking for his wife, and he finally gets to this auction block, and he sees his wife being auctioned off. Now, you need to know something about auctions back then. The people who were being auctioned, they were treated as just uh, a tool and not a person. So they would strip the person bare, and they would allow you to check their teeth and investigate them, and then they would stand there naked, and then you would just bid on them, and they would know what you think they're worth when you bid. And so can you imagine Gomer just standing there, stripped bare, eyes closed, I mean, not being able to look everybody in the face, and, and the auctioneer going, all right, the next one up is this person right here. We'll go for the bidding. And the first person saying, uh, three, uh, three pieces of silver. And then you hear four pieces of silver. Then you hear six pieces of silver. And then out of the blue, she hears her husband's voice. Fifteen pieces of silver, five bushels, and a measure of wine. And can you imagine Gomer hearing her husband's voice? Fifteen pieces of silver, five pieces of bushel, and a measure of wine. Can you imagine her re reaction? Open her eyes. What kind of husband buys back what is already his? What kind of husband goes and buys back what he's already married? And so he buys her back for what it would be 30 shekels, which would be the fullest price, saying, you are still worth just as much as you were the day I met, I met you. And so he buys her back, and can you imagine him walking her back? And walking her back to the house. And, and the Bible says, this is, what, this is what he says when he walks her back to the house. Then he said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. This will show that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince, without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will turn and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendants, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. That word trembles in the Hebrew is translated, they will melt. They'll get soft before God again. Now, can you imagine this statement when he gets her back to the house? And the Hebrew doesn't translate it very well, but you need to understand what he's saying to uh, Gomer. He's saying to Gomer, you know, hey, Stay in this house. You will no longer sleep with the world. Or sleep. You're going to stay in this house. He's saying to Gomer, Gomer, love has standards. I'm your husband. You're my wife. I am yours and you are mine. Stay in this house. Don't leave this house. The world has nothing for you. It's destroying you. Give this house a shot. Give me a shot to be what I'm supposed to be in your life and what this house could be in your life. Give it a shot, Gomer. Pleading with her. 
You know what I love about the Bible? Is I don't have to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to see the Gospels. That right here in Hosea, we're seeing the gospel unfolded in our very eyes. The picture of the gospel is so loud. Let me show it to you real quick. Do you you see how loud it is? The brothel, he's got to go to the brothel. The brothel represents the world. Gomer, you may not like this, represents you and I. We need to be saved. We can't save ourselves. So, So it represents us. We're Gomer. Hosea literally is translated salvation. Jesus is the better prophet, so Hosea represents Jesus, but Jesus is a better Hosea. And the pimp, it's sin. Do you know what it says about sin in the Bible? Genesis 4, this is what it says about sin in the Bible. Sin is crouching out the door. It desires to have you, to master you. Sin wants to traffic you. Now there's this verse in Titus that says this, and it's, the story of Isaiah all over again. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Everybody say peculiar people. I love that. Zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. So just, can you just read the Bible real quick with me and actually understand what God's trying to show you about your own life and what he did? That all of us were on the block and sin was trafficking us and just as we were choosing sin, because sin makes us addicts. You think, person in the house, that you think when you sin and you're done sinning, you think you can walk away from sin and sin is walked away from you. No, when you're done sinning, sin is just getting started with you. You don't do sin. Sin does you. Sin, sin literally, the Bible shows there's a, it's a power that when you start to walk into a sin, it becomes easier and easier to, uh, uh, to commit that sin. It becomes like a fire that's like a little flicker and becomes a flame, and it starts to own your life. So if you're somebody who struggles with lust, it will keep growing until you allow God to save you from lust. If you're somebody who lies, it becomes easier and easier to lie because the power of sin starts to master you, starts to control you. And so can you imagine yourself being Gomer? And can you imagine myself being on the auction block and, and Jesus walking up and saying, I'll take Tyler. 15 pieces of silver, five bushels, and a measure of wine, and him wrapping his robe around me and declaring to me, Tyler, you will no longer live for the world. This happened to me at 16 years old. I am yours, and you are mine. Sin is trying to destroy you. I'm trying to restore you. Stay in this house. Be planted in this house. Do not sleep with the world. It will destroy you. I don't know about you, but I hear people say this way too often. I just came to church this Sunday for a pick-me-up. So I want to get a little pick-me-up for this Sunday. It's a hard week. So I want a little, little pick-me-up, a little special shout of Jesus, and be on my way. And then you'll even, you'll even hear in people's language. Like, how was church today? You know, the first two songs, it was good. But then that third song, it just got me. And I got goosebumps. And it was like exactly what I needed today. You know, and then the message, it was, oh, it was a good one today. got me. Sometimes and the message was okay today. It didn't get me. And so on and so forth. And literally, they're talking about service like a pick-me-up. Nowhere in scripture does God tell you to treat Jesus or church like a pick-me-up. He says, be a place where you're planted. Plant in this house. Plant in the community of people. Plant in the word of God. Follow a church and follow a shepherd and say, I trust this person. I trust this house. I'm going to plant here and I'm going to grow here. I know it's not perfect, but I'm going to plant here. The reality is, is so many of us, like Gomer and Hosea 3, we have no idea how it ends. That's where the story ends in the Bible. 
and I hate it. I want to know. God, what happens? You're not going to tell me what happens? Like literally, like it just literally the story ends. Hosea says, Gomer, stay in this house. I love you. Boom, done. We won't know the end until literally like when we go to heaven. And if you know me, I love the end of movies. I Google the end of movies. Have you heard me talk about this? Yes. I don't want to talk about it again, but I Google the end of every movie. So I've been praying all the time. Lord, just tell me a little bit what happened with Hosea and Gomer. Just come on, just drop a little bit of wisdom right now in my ear, Lord. I won't tell nobody else. Okay, be our secret. Um, and the reality is, is I'll never know the end of Hosea and Gomer's story, but I know I get to play a part in the story of me and my Savior. Because I am Gomer and he is Hosea. And I just pray that if you're in the house today and you've been a person that just kind of comes and go in church and you come and go in the relationship, the community of God, and you kind of come and go, that you would understand you'll never have the fruit and the life you desired until you start to plant your life. Love has standards. There is a way to live your life that will bring fruit to your life that you've never seen before. And it's a life that gets planted in God's word, planted in his community, and planted in his house. Can you get an amen for that? So now let's look at the big thought of the message, the God who never gives up. So it goes on after uh, Hosea 3, you'll see 4 through 14, just the story of now God with Israel, and you just try to see him wooing and calling him back over and over again. I love what Hosea 11 says. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? I love that. God's saying like, I'm never going to give up. How could I? I don't love you. I am love. Like we, we know people who love us and then give up on us. You need to know a God who's just love and he never gives up. He's like, it's, it's not in my nature. I love how he says, he talks about not being a mere mortal. He goes, how can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. You need to understand something. Scholars show that within this text, the two most obvious places where we see God's heart is being shattered by mankind is in the garden when he's bleeding sweat and he's weeping over what's about to happen. And this moment where he's saying, my heart is shattered because my people do not want to choose me back. We, you need to know something. You can break God's heart. Just because he is love doesn't mean he's Teflon Don doesn't feel pain. This, 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 this picture in the Hebrews is showing that God is broken over the people that he loves so much, but they don't love him back. He said, it's torn within me. My compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I'm the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy you. For someday the people will follow me. Because he believes that someday you will say, I will come and be whatever I was supposed to be. You'll start becoming the follower God called you to be. And here's where it gets really good, guys, me. And the Lord will roar like a lion. And when I roar, my people will return trembling from the west. Stop. Again, that word trembling is not just any word. It's the Hebrew word for melting. And if I could just be honest, I'll never forget my melting moment. And what it, what it means to melt before the Lord um, it's interesting. So why do you say I'm going to roar like a lion? There's a couple things you need to understand. When a lion roars, its roar can be heard up to five miles. So it literally, uh, if the cub is far away and you can't see the cub, and the cub's trying to find the way home, the only way the cub finds his way home or her way home is by the lion roaring, and within that five-mile radius, the lion knows to come home. But also the roar lets the enemy know, I'm around, stay away from my kids. And so the lion roars, and the, the, the baby cubs find comfort in it. Now, when God starts to roar for your name, and there's, there's a moment in uh, John 11 where it actually says that God roars, and it's actually for Lazarus, and Lazarus is dead. And he says, Lazarus, come out. Now, that's an amazing salvation story, uh, but I wasn't actually in a grave when I, when I came to the Lord. 
I was just walking around like a dead man who was broken and was trying to find fulfillment in a girlfriend or my, in basketball or in sports. And I'll never forget when he called me home. It's amazing when you know when God's calling you. You start to get a little soft. And what I mean by that, I'll never forget my, my like, my grandma told me about four. I believe I got saved at four. But I believe when God melted me and when I fell in love with the Lord was at age 16. I remember sitting uh, at church and worship started going on. I don't even remember the songs, to be honest. It wasn't even about the songs. They were good. They started preaching. And in the middle of, of, of church, I was like, I just want to start bawling. I was like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me right now? And I remember like, I got hold together. You know, there was like a couple of girls we brought to church because that's what you do when you're 16. Ladies, you want to go to church? You know, okay, anyways. So, um, so I was like, I can't ball my head. I ball, I ball, just ball like crazy in front of them. And I remember just like, I was like literally grinding my teeth to get home. And I remember walking into my bedroom, shutting the door, and I wept for two hours. I melted before the Lord. I just, God was calling me home. And if you're in the house today, or you've been coming to church the last season, and you're wondering why you're crying more, or there's a, more, there's, there's, there's a softness happening in your heart, it's because God is calling you back. Because God is wooing you back and saying, I'm calling you to live the life I called you to live. I'm calling you to enter into my presence. And if you're in the house today, you're, you're, you're starting to experience that softness. That's not just anything. That's the Holy Spirit doing work in life to regenerate your life, okay? And so that's what that scripture says. I know that when I call them, I will, people will melt and they'll come to know me. Now, I want to read you a couple things that you'll see this theme that why he wants to call you home and get to know him. Hosea 6.6, 6, uh, he says this, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Hosea 4.6, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. God's like just saying, if you just came home and you got to know me, it's over. It's a done deal. And we know this. I love preaching on just us understanding the power of us knowing God. Daniel, if you know those who know God, have an energy for God. Uh, throughout Ephesians, when we know God, it really changes our heart. Uh, the, the Greek word know means to birth great things even. And that's a whole other sermon for a different day. But if I could just use a simple illustration with you. When I was 29 years old and I was trying to date Rachel, I'm just going to speak plainly with you real quick, okay? I get it. On 110, I'm a 6, okay? But with my humor, I'm an 8, okay? So... <laughs> So I knew that I was not going to like get a girl's attention from just standing across the room. That never worked for me. Not once. Not once did I, did I ever know a girl walking and go, oh, that guy looked good. That just never happened for me in junior high and high school. Never happened for me. So, so, but I, here's what I knew. If I can just have Rachel get to know me a little bit, she can get to know my humor. See how funny and witty I am. How kind I am. How, how deep I am, how I love to talk about deep things. Um, once she gets to know me, it's over. And just so you know, it worked. It's over, okay? It's over. It's over. And the reality is, is that I'm an eight. But God's a ten. The ten of all tens. And he's saying, I get it. Maybe in this world, the Bible says that he had no feature that would attract men to him. There was no feature that he wasn't walking in uh, during, you know, Jesus' time at 30 and like, oh, who's the new Brad, Brad Pitt savior? Oh, is that Chris Hemsworth over there? No, he said there's no feature that, that would draw you to him. But he said that you would just get around me and you would get to know me. You would never want to leave my presence because of my joy and my peace and my wisdom and what I have to offer you. The world can never hold a candle. I'm the 10 of all 10s. And so in Hosea, because he's trying to depict it as a marriage relationship, like, oh, if you would just get to know me. 
Oh, your, your relationships and your career, your dreams, everything's perishing just because you don't know me. I want to show you a picture of Death Valley. Uh, show a picture. I got a picture for you today. We got some pictures today. That's Death Valley, also known as uh, Walnut Creek this last week at 112 degrees. Okay. Straight up, man. It was hot. It was a hot week. So Death Valley is the deadest and driest region in all the U.S. I mean, get up to 140 degrees, super hot. It's the de- it's the, they call it Death Valley because nothing grows there because it's the driest valley. So uh, they like, yeah, de- let's call it Death Valley. But then they got seven inches of rain, and here's what happened. Super bloom. They found out it wasn't dead after all. They found out all it needed was a little bit of water. The seeds were there. The potential was there, but it just needed some rain, and it could actually have something look like that. Can I read you another verse? Let's make this biblical. Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in prayers. I keep asking the, uh, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches and glorious inheritance of his holy people. Eyes of your heart. Somebody checked my heart doesn't have eyes. But let's just be honest. When you're in a room with 10 people, isn't it fascinating that 10 people see 10 different things? Isn't it amazing that people can go in and be like, oh, I just had the best time. The other person's a cynic and they're negative all the time. It's because the eyes of their heart have been darkened by this world. And God's saying, I, I pray that you could get to know them. And as you get to know them, it's like rain for your soul. And as the rain washes your soul and cleanses your soul, you're going to start seeing things you never saw again. And what he wants you to see, is, and I read this, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, that you would actually open your eyes to actually see the riches and the inheritance that he has for your life. And the world has tricked you, and you say, I see for the first time what my life could really be. It's not supposed to be Death Valley. It's supposed to be a super bloom. Now, what he's trying to communicate is once you get to know him, not only will you want to be around him, but it will change you. I was one of the last ones to get saved, uh, not saved, I uh, was saved. I was one of the last one of my buddies to get married, okay? Um, I was 29 years old, um, and a lot of my buddies got married early. My boy Drew got married at 21. Um, and yeah, so I was like, all of them got married. And when they got married, to be honest, I just lost a lot of respect for them, okay? Like, I, just, I'm gonna speak plainly to, with you today, okay? I remember like, my buddies, like, we'd watch football on Sunday, like, you know, like, hey, you want to go play hoops on Wednesday? And they were, like, always down to hang, always down to party. And then they got married, and I'm like, hey, you want to play hoops? I got to go check with my wife. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> I got to go get permission to go shoot a basketball, you know? And I remember, like, what, you know, then, and then, like, I, instead of them playing basketball, they'd be at some, like, party where they're doing, like, you know, uh, crime mystery, and they're dressed up at it. I'm like, what? <laughs> what the what? You're dressed up at a party instead of playing hoops with your boys? I just been like, what happened to you, man? Just, it bothered me, you know? Um, we lose them for Sunday now. They're doing little picnics with the fam bam. And, and so I remember judging them and thinking like, man, she ruined you, bro. I mean, we lost you, you know? And so, so I got used to like when my buddies would start dating, get serious, we'd always be like, we lost another one. Don't even fight it. Just let them go, okay? Just let them go. Proud of you. Yeah, go get dressed up. Have a good time. But then I got engaged. Then I got married. I got to know Rachel. And I became what I despised. (laughs) Show a picture real quick. I'm going to talk about it. Never would I think that on a day off that I would want to go to San Francisco and go to the Shakespeare Gardens and take selfies. (laughs) That's not what I did. 
on my day off before Rachel, I'm, I'm playing hoops, I'm watching sports. I'm not walking through the Shakespeare garden, looking at the beautiful roses, and then saying, let's take a picture in the middle of Shakespeare garden. Show me the next picture. I've never, ever, ever, ever driven by flowers and said, let's pull over and take a picture. <laughs> but then I got married to Rachel, like, you know what, babe? It's picture time. She got, I took that picture, by the way. This is Happen Bay. And I, I, like this, I, I got an eye for things like this. Last picture. Fourth of July, I used to blow things up. Sparkler bombs. And now on 4th of July, I've got my sparkler. We're taking selfies. Rachel looks at me, and then we're like, like this. All right, put those pictures down. I want you to catch this real quick. Does Rachel make me do those things? I got to know a girl. And when I got to know her, and our life started merging together, her passions became my passions, and it transformed me. And now I just live a different life. And to be honest, it's better than the one where I was just playing hoops and eating pizza and watching football. Now, I want to catch this real quick. One of my favorite things as a pastor is I'll have people come up to me, and it's just been happening a lot this season. Somebody come up to me the other day and say, Tyler, I've gone to church 12 straight weeks in a row. I've never done that in my whole life. What's happening to me? Right, people come up to me on Tuesday. I'm at team prayer. I would never go to things like this back in the day. What's happening to me? You're getting to know God. And your friends are saying, what's happening to you? Why is Sunday's now a priority? Why are you in a small group? Because the reality is you got to know a God and he's starting to transform your wants and desires and the rhythms of your life. You were in the trap of sin and selfishness that was just like this. And the trap of sin and selfishness just goes from bad to worse, bad to worse, and then God saves you. And now you get a new rhythm of literally serving and loving and refreshing, and it becomes the best thing you could ever do for your life. If you're somebody who's came to church the last six weeks and you're just getting fired up, I say, you know something, God's doing something in your heart. In about five weeks, you'll probably be serving a kids ministry. That's what happens. <laughs> in about another few weeks, you're probably going to be in a small group. Start coming to first night. Saying, I never, I, I, I had somebody say this to me um, uh, this week. They said, so I was at Team Prayer on Tuesday. I came to first night this Wednesday, Tyler. I'm going to be at church on Sunday. That's three times in one week at church. I used to go to church once every two months. Three times, what's going on? You're getting to know your God. You, you want to you transform somebody's life. Don't give them a list of rules. Have them just get to know God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish with this. So what now? So what now? We, uh, we see the, God's heart uh, in the book of Hosea. We see that he wants us to get to know him. But what does that mean for our church now? And I, I love what the scholar said, that 750 years prior to the crucifixion, the book of Hosea and the story of Hosea and Gomer is the greatest depiction of God's love for mankind before the cross. But now we're after the cross. What's going to be the greatest depiction of God's love after the cross? What are historians going to say, and what are they going to study and going to find? And I just, because I want to know the story of Hosea and Gomer so much, I've decided to, to submit my guess, and when we get to heaven, we'll see if I'm right. Can I share my guess with you? I'm going to share my guess with you. So I picture Hosea bringing Gomer back, and we read in Hosea 3, he says, Stay in this house. I love you. I'm yours, and you are mine. Be planted in this house. And I imagine the next day, you know, Gomer gets up, and it's got to be a little awkward in the house, and she walks into the kitchen, and uh, Hosea's already in the kitchen, and he's making eggs and bacon, and, and he's like, hey, I made breakfast for you. You want some coffee, boo? You know, and she's like, what? And he's like, you're my boo. You're my baby. You know, and she's like, 
yeah, I'll have some coffee. And so he brings her over some coffee and some bacon and some eggs. And, and she's just sitting there and she's starting to experience a life she never thought she'd experience. And, and Jose is saying things to her that she's never knew about her. He's, he's calling her beautiful. He's, he's, he's calling her whole. Things that all these promises that are on her life that she's never felt or heard. And he just starts speaking life over so the, you know, another day goes by, another day goes by, and a week goes by, and, you know, she wakes up again, and he's making breakfast again. He's like, hey, you want some, you want some eggs? She's like, yeah, you want some bacon? Yeah. You want some hash browns? Like, yeah. He's like, oh, dang, my girl likes to eat. Okay, girl. And so makes her all the eggs and bacon and hash browns, brings her thing, and, and so she starts, you know, having breakfast, and they talk about their, their week, and then the next morning he wakes up, and she's trying to beat him to the kitchen so she can make him breakfast now. And they're start, starting to have this beautiful marriage, and months go by and and this gomer that only knew uh somebody who was used for sex and was used as a tool she's starting to see herself differently and has a new worth and once you get a new identity you start having a new vision for your life and a new dream for your life so she starts processing her life what's my life going to be about and so she's sitting at breakfast with hosea one morning and i just picture her sitting at breakfast with hosea one morning and just you know eating her eggs and and looking at him and she just starts to weep and if you're Hosea, you're like, oh no, what's, what's going on? Is she reverting? Is she, why is she weeping? What's going on? And, and she goes, no, no, they're, they're, they're happy tears, Hosea. But I was thinking about my friend Tracy. And she's still in the brothel. And she's still being trafficked. And I would love to go buy her back. Do you think she could stay at our house? And do you think I could have 15 pieces of silver and five bushels and a measure of wine and I could go buy Tracy? And just Hosea seeing his wife come to life and saying, of course, here, here's the silver, here's the bushels, here's the measure of wine, go buy Tracy back. And can you imagine Gomer, who walked those streets and was once seen as a prostitute, but now she's dressed differently. She has a different posture and a countenance to her. She walks in, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Be like, is that, was that, is that Gomer? That can't be Gomer. That is Gomer. And Gomer walks in and she, she comes to the place where they're selling the slaves and she sees Tracy and she yells out, I'll buy Tracy, 15 pieces of silver five bushels and a measure of wine she grabs a robe and puts it over tracy and tracy goes what are you doing gomer and, and gomer's like tracy this isn't our life this isn't what we were built to do this is destroying us there's a different life for us let me show you this house let me show you this hosea let me show you the promises for your life we weren't meant for this we were meant for so much more and can you imagine tracy being walked back to the house and Hosea and Gomer in there and Tracy walking around saying, I've never seen love like this. I've never been accepted like this. And so she stays in a room there. Months go by and Tracy, she gets healthy and whole. And Tracy and Gomer get this crazy idea. They're like, hey, Hosea, we got an idea. And Hosea's like, what's the idea? Could we have 60, bushel, uh, 60 pieces of silver, 20 bushels, and a lot of wine? Why? Because we got more friends and we want to go buy them all back. And so can you imagine Gomer and Tracy walking back to the thing? 60 bushels, 20 things, and some wine. Give it all to them and walking them back and telling all their friends, this is not our life. This is our promise. Follow me to our promise. And the reality is, is that once God saves you, you don't stop there. He saved you so you could save others. And you could point to the Savior. And Philip Yancey in his book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace, he writes this chapter about this woman who was a prostitute and a drug addict, and he asked her, did you ever think about going to church? And in response to him, he hated it, but he put in the book because we need to hear it as Christians. He goes, why would I go to church? I already feel terrible about myself. And 
I pray that the Bay Area doesn't think of Mission Church as a place where you go, you're going to feel terrible about yourself. But the only way they're ever going to experience that is we're not only trying to get people to heaven, we're trying to get heaven to the people. And so if you're in the house today, can you go show some goodness to somebody today? Can you go actually be Hosea to people today? Can you go love the unlovable today? And if you're in the house today and you need to get saved today, bow your heads. I'm about to hook you up. You never said yes to heaven, no to hell. Yes to blessing, no to cursing. You never said yes to salvation. If you want to say yes to salvation today, you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to get out of this trap of just living for self and living for pleasure. And you want to get planted today. With every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus. And I want to give two options today because I feel like there's people in the house, you're a Christian that you have been so far away from God. And you feel like you need to renew your vows in a sense. You need to recommit your life. This isn't a salvation issue for you, but you want to recommit your life. Say, today I want to recommit. God, I'm going to plant my life with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm done sleeping with the world. I'm done living for the world. So with every ad bow and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus today. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. On the count of three, one, two, three. Raise it up and raise it high. I see you and I see you and I see hands all over the place. Come on now, church. We can clap for that. It's a special thing. Come on. Come on. Will you stand up? We're going to pray. A lot of people got saved today. Uh, we always finish service with just a simple prayer. Uh, it's the prayer of salvation, the sinner's prayer. And, uh, it's very simple. Repeat after me. Jesus, come into my life today. I declare you are my Savior, and I need you. Be my Lord. I say hello to my future. I say goodbye to my past. Today, I declare... I am yours, and you are mine. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.